This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. The Missouri State Historical Society has a podcast series on bank robbers and bad guys and and girls uh, talking about Bonnie and Clyde, Pretty Boy Floyd. They all uh, created havoc through the state of Missouri during the Great Depression. We'll hear about their podcast series. Camden County has some fun things going on with their museum, and they're starting up a local farmer's market. We'll hear from them. And the Missouri State Fair is coming up. Lisa Nelson and Cindy Young are with the Missouri Department of Agriculture's director, Chris Chin, and the State Fair director, Mark Wolf, about what's new at this year's fair. There are always new and different things at the fair, but even just following our theme this year, where traditions grow, um, you know, the traditions of the things that we do at the fair are exactly that. And, uh, you know, people expect those things. Uh, Obviously, a major part of uh, what the state fair is all about is promoting youth and their involvement in agriculture. And so with that in mind, you know, a large portion of our program, uh, the bulk of the entries that we take each year for all the different things that happen on the state fair uh, revolve around kids and agriculture. And so uh, those traditions require that you do those things year after year after year. And obviously we add classes, we do this, we do that to, to break that up and, and make it more fun, try to all the time, uh, more ways for them to have competition. Uh, uh, if I've learned anything in this job is uh, Missouri kids are very competitive. Uh, to say the least. So uh, it's a great opportunity at the state fair each year to, to watch that in action. And, uh, you know, for my for my chair, you know, it's great to sit there and watch these kids grow up. I've been there long enough now. You know, I've seen them start their career showing and move on. And some of them are back uh, working in agriculture and other places as adults with kids of their own. So uh, it's, a, it's a pretty neat thing to watch happen. But, um, uh, you know, as far as what's new, uh, certainly our entertainment changes every year. Uh, that's a, that's a, an obvious thing. I think, uh, you know, uh, the facility changes over time. Uh, and we have been through spells uh, over the years, even in my short time there, where we didn't uh, we didn't see a lot of change to the facility. You know, uh, state funds were a little tight. You didn't get to work on things uh, over the last, uh, you know, six, seven years almost now. Uh, we've seen a big change in that. And, um, you know, Governor Parson, the state legislature, has been very kind to the state fair. And we have made huge strides to the renovations of that historic facility out there in, in uh, Pettis County uh, and got some really exciting things coming uh, here in the near future. So, you know, so you'll see some change in the facility always. Uh, those big changes are going to come down the road here. But and then on top of that, you know, I just think some neat ideas that we we plug into our theme each year, uh, talking about traditions this time. Uh, so we have a lot of contests and things. Uh, we do some of it pre-fair. Uh, certainly there are a lot of those kinds of contests that happen during the fair, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, scavenger hunts involving traditional things at the fair. I mean, it could be a lot of things, but we do a lot of that kind of stuff and that changes every year. Uh, and then, as I said, uh, you know, you're going to see some some new contests in our competitive events, uh, some new categories, new classes and different uh, species and uh, different breeds of animals uh, across the fairgrounds. So uh, we're always working on that and tweaking a little bit. But, you know, the basic tradition for what we do at the fair remains. Director Chin, Director Wolf was talking about some of those changes and the support from Governor Parson and the state legislature. And obviously, you've been a big part of, of working through that. It's important to keep that fairgrounds not only maintained, but to grow and and change. Yeah, it's very important. And we're really proud of the fairgrounds and the job that our state fair crew does all through the year to make sure that it's 
it's in good shape for our visitors when they arrive. We had a lot of support in the Missouri legislature this year for the state fair and the improvements. Many of those buildings are historical buildings. You don't see buildings like that. And so it's very important that we get the funding to do the upkeep on those buildings. Last year, we were able to purchase the additional 200 acres across the road from the fairgrounds. So in the future, you'll start to see some developments happen there. Um, there's going to be a new state fair arena um, that'll be built in the years to come. The appropriation authority was made last year. Um, and as the way that the uh, economy is, we can't build it today for what was appropriated. So that appropriation was increased so that we're going to be able to get that new state fair arena. So we're really excited about that and the opportunity that that's going to bring to the Missouri State Fair and to all the kids who are exhibiting in the state fair as well. So I see I'm, I'm looking at the State Fair page on the Family Fun page to see what type of entertainment you have. And some of the things, uh, pretty exciting. The pig races are back, some of the, the dog um, type of exhibits. And um, the Kid Zone, of course, is back. One that really caught my attention, I, I'd like to know a little bit more about, is the Show Me Tailgate Throwdown Barbecue Contest. How do I become a judge for that? <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't know how you do that, Lisa. I, I, I've tried for years, and they won't let me do it. <laughs> you know, because uh, having time to stop during the fair and eat a good meal is kind of hard sometimes. But uh, I don't know how you get to do that. I, I think I've asked before, and either I wasn't qualified or... They just had another friend that they liked better. Maybe I don't know. Uh, you know, I've had past governors want to know how they got to be a judge at the pie contest, too. You know, so and uh, I've never seen them pull that off yet, either. Oh, boy, you've got to really try and pull some strings. Then. This is a, <laughs> this is a, a popular. These are popular contests then. OK, well, um, that's definitely a couple of things and uh, um, try and hit up while people are at the fair. What are some of the other like really popular things um, that people can expect at the fair, especially if they haven't ever been before? Maybe they're new at the fair. What kind of things would you recommend to them? Well, you know, we get people from all kinds of backgrounds, obviously. Obviously, there's a huge ag following, but, um, you know, we get urban folks at the fair that don't necessarily know a lot about agriculture. Uh, so I, I would assume a lot of them come for the fun, you know, being meaning the, the carnival. Uh, our carnival company is the second uh, largest uh, privately owned carnival company in the United States, maybe in the world. I don't know. Uh, Wade shows they do a great job. You know, I for for special events that people ought to go see if they're not regular fairgoers, maybe uh, our six horse hitch draft horse show mm -hmm. uh, is phenomenal to see. Uh, one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see, and uh, it's pretty impressive on top of that. You know, I would say that would be a highlight for folks to uh, to look at uh, while they're at the fair. Um, you know, if you do like livestock or have some interest in that, that Tuesday steer show is pretty hard to beat. Um, you know, if you ever wondered what a, you know, forty fifty thousand dollars $50,000 steer looks like walking around in the arena, that's the place to be. They didn't sell for that when I was a kid growing up. And we had, <laughs> we had um, you know, uh, entertainment wise, we, we I think we do a pretty good job of getting, you know, good entertainment at the state fair. Uh, got some great acts coming this year. You know, uh, if you're a if you're a camper, we literally become a small city uh, of folks out there camping. Uh, right now we have about. Uh, 
Well, we're approaching 2,000 full hookup campsites on the fairgrounds, and um, one of the things that actually got funded along with that purchase of land that uh, Director Chin was just talking about um, included funding to add another 600 campsites out there, and we need them. I mean, we we just added 150 a couple years ago, and we're out again. I mean, we're, we're going to have people waiting or get turned away, So, and we hate that. So, um, you know, the, the, fair, the fair is growing, there's no question, and uh, I think, but I think there's a lot of things around there for folks to see i think it just kind of depends on what you like because we got a little bit of something for everybody you know if you're a foodie oh my you know you're going to get to try some things you don't get to try the rest of the year uh like what uh, well you know think of all the things deep fried that you might want to try uh ever had a deep fried snickers i have not oh man you know I'm a little more traditional. I, I wait all year for that, you know, first foot-long corn dog, you know. Absolutely. I'm, I'm kind of simple maybe, but that, that's one of my favorites right off the bat. But, yeah, if you're if you're a, a food person, uh, if you'll just spend a little time getting around the fairgrounds, you'll see a, some kind of stand or something somewhere that's selling something you haven't probably tried before. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, there are folks that are obsessed by that. You know, i got to go try, find out what's the newest Latest, greatest, deep fried whatever. And I did try deep fried Kool-Aid one time. It's horrendous. So don't try it. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Don't yeah. drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of the things that is really exciting about the Missouri State Fair, obviously, many of us in this studio right now are very deeply rooted in agriculture. So, you know, so, so that's where our heart is with the fair and the opportunity not only to exhibit and compete with livestock or Fruits and vegetables and, and so many other different products there. The Missouri State Fair Grandstand Entertainment is is really second to none. And, boy, you've got a, a show that sold out in no time this year with Lainey Wilson, one of my favorites. Well, she couldn't have been your favorite for that very long. I mean, she <laughs> hasn't been around that long. That was that was a little bit of a shocker when uh, when that all came about. But... You know, yeah, we're pretty excited about our concert lineup this year, and um, obviously, um, Laney has kind of headlined that whole thing for the for the entire run of the fair. Um, never, we've never had a in my 19 years at the state fair, we've never had a show sell out in three hours or four hours, whatever it was. Uh, so that's uh, that's a little unusual. Uh, kind of caught us off guard. We kind of saw that coming, I think, but still, we're not really prepared for that. And uh, so. Um, like I said, Laney's blowing them away on that first Friday night, and it is sold out, unfortunately. So if you're listening to this, I can't help you with tickets. But, uh, uh, you know, I think the rest of our lineup looks pretty good. Uh, you know, something a little different for us, we got Nelly coming on the on the second Friday. Um, you know, over 6,600 tickets sold, I think, the last time wow. I checked, and 11,000 is a sellout. So uh, I would not be surprised to see that show sell out. You know, the last Saturday with, uh, with Riley Green and Randy Hauser is a great concert, uh, selling very well. Uh, we got Tyler Hubbard, opening night, uh, former part of uh, Florida Georgia Line, along with Parmalee. It's going to be a great show. And then uh, our classic rock, which I struggle with this at my age a little bit because this does not seem like classic rock to me, but Three Doors Down and... and um, Candlebox. Candlebox, thank you. You know, I think that's going to sell really good. It started out really good, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, we always kind of have this thing at the, in Missouri at the State Fair is we get rushed by it when they go on sale. Everybody fights for those best seats, and then it kind of mellows out, and over the next month, you know, sales kind of trickle, and then, you know, that week leading up to the fair, all of a sudden, everybody comes rushing back to see what's left. So, right now, we're looking looking pretty good on ticket sales for concerts, so if Mother Nature plays along, we'll be fine. 
Talk to me about turnout. Um, what do you generally see in terms of turnout? And what is, is there a certain day that historically has been your largest turnout day? Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, the Saturdays are just without a doubt every year our largest uh, attendance numbers uh, for individual days. Both Saturdays, you know, it's not uncommon for them to be 40 to 50 plus thousand, uh, you know, on a Saturday, you know, we'll get into that slower part of the week after that first weekend, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, it's a little bit slow and, you know, our tennis will fall off into the 20, low 20s uh, sometimes, uh, not always, sometimes it's better than that. Yeah, weather's everything, you know, if you get a really pretty day, uh, nice afternoon, uh, a lot of folks will come out in the evening, uh, even during the work week. You know, we, we, we face some challenges, I think, at the Missouri State Fair. Uh, in my job, I've had the opportunity to to visit a lot of other state fairs. I don't think I've ever been to a state fair that was in a city as small as Sedalia, population-wise. Uh, we're probably, the closest one's probably twice the size. So there's some challenges that come along with that. Um, you know, a lot of those really big fairs that folks are aware of uh, are in metropolitan areas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you've got several million people right at your doorstep, they don't have to worry about a place to sleep that night. They don't need a motel room. They don't need to camp. They don't they just go home. Show me the day. As many as one in eight Missourians face food insecurity every day. And among children, the numbers are even higher. The Drive to Feed Kids Hogs for Hunger program gives Missouri pig farmers and 4-H and FFA swine exhibitors the opportunity to address hunger in their communities by committing pigs locally or at the Missouri State Fair. One pig can feed more than 500 Missourians in need. Learn how you can participate at mofarmerscare.com drive. Having enough food is a concern for many Missouri families and it isn't restricted to rural or urban areas. Missouri Farmers Care Drive to Feed Kids opens the door for every Missourian to make a difference in the fight against hunger in our state. All proceeds are dedicating to feeding Missouri's network food banks who work daily to alleviate hunger. Visit MOFarmersCare.com drive to learn more and join the effort. University of Missouri encourages you to eat smart like a tiger. Use the grill to cook vegetables and fruits. Try grilling mushrooms, onions, peppers, or zucchini on a kebab skewer. Brush with oil to keep them from drying out. Grilled fruits like peaches, pineapple, or mangoes add variety to a cookout. Find more tips like this at muext.us slash eatsmartlikeatiger. This message was funded by USDA SNAP. As many as one in eight Missourians face food insecurity every day, and among children, the numbers are even higher. The Drive to Feed Kids Hogs for Hunger program gives Missouri pig farmers and 4-H and FFA swine exhibitors the opportunity to address hunger in their communities by committing pigs locally or at the Missouri State Fair. One pig can feed more than 500 Missourians in need. Learn how you can participate at mofarmerscare.com drive. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. 
The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Don't forget to uh, download our podcast if you uh, miss a segment or want to go back and listen. Just uh, find us on Apple on Show Me Today. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde, Pretty Boy Floyd, uh, they spread terror across the country, including Missouri. And that happened during the Great Depression. Uh, Outlaws gripped uh, several communities here in Missouri during the summer of 1933, And that's being explored in a podcast series called Our Missouri, produced by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And joining me now, the co-host, Sean Rost and Kathleen Seal. Hey, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Uh, Kathleen, why why are we so interested in criminals, high-profile criminals like Bonnie and Clyde, Pretty Boy Floyd? What's the fascination? That's a really great question. It's... I think in particular, these stories, um, Bonnie and Clyde, Charles Floyd, you look at them, you look look at the newspapers from that time period, and even some of the the research in the books that are written about them afterwards, they come from very, you know, kind of normal beginnings. Um, In particular, I've probably done more research on the Charles Floyd side of things. He grows up small town, Oklahoma, works um, on a farm. He works in the oil fields at some time. So it's very much a story that a lot of people can relate to. And uh, some of the stories of the time period um, back in the the 30s, so you're going through the Great Depression during that time period. And especially in the places where he grows up, he kind of has this almost Robin Hood-esque kind of kind of what he's known for. Um, it's obviously not true. He's not, you know, giving back any of the money he's he's stealing from these banks by any time by any means. But I guess for a lot of people during that time it's I don't know. I, I guess it's a it's a break from what's going on around them. It's, you know, a misled sense of hope or something. But yeah, there's there's always kind of that interest in um, kind of true crime of people, you know, that cops and robbers kind of mentality, I guess. So there's, you know, from the very beginning, there's always been that interest in this um, type of story. And the fact that you have so much connection to Missouri, to quite frankly, a lot of towns and communities across the state of Missouri as well. Again, it's just that sense of connection to this part of history. We'll get into um, the episodes, kind of break them down a, a little bit. But, um, Sean, are we talking about um, terror that was spread across the state from from St. Louis to Kansas City? I mean, did they just sweep through heading out west or where did they go? We focus a lot in on not only southwest Missouri and Kansas City and even uh, portions of central Missouri like in Columbia. But I, I think in the broader scope of what's going on in the 1930s, especially 
there are many different uh, elements of criminal activity spread across the state. Everything from uh, we can think of prohibition prohibition violations that are going on, uh, you know, at the localized level to bank robberies to organized crimes in in certain communities. Um, so, if one were to read the newspapers in the summer of 1933, you know, I could think especially of you know the Columbia newspapers um, in mid June. There are almost a, an entire front page covered with stories of bank robberies and shootouts and car chases um, spanning the, the state in a lot of ways. So for Missourians in the 1930s, you know, there were kind of everyday occurrences of what's going to be in the newspaper today that, you know, wasn't readily available like we think of today where, you know, news breaks and we're instantly getting the updates on our phones or uh, through radio or television or, or the internet, where then it was, you know, the next day's newspaper is going to have all these various stories and, and news spreads quickly. Uh, we've looked at some of the instances of different things across the state where two days later, newspapers in Canada and in the United Kingdom are reporting on these events in small town Missouri. Um, so it, it catches the attention not only of, of local individuals, but really the, the world in some capacities for a number of these events. We're talking about a podcast series called Our Missouri, produced by the State Historical Society of Missouri, and it's a four-part series on uh, Bonnie and Clyde, Pretty Boy Floyd. Uh, Kathleen Seal is joining us, uh, along with Sean Rost. Uh, Kathleen, uh, what's the the first the first two series are out? The second episode just dropped um, earlier this week. Uh, the first episode, what does it feature? Yeah, so the first episode, we start out. We we took these events from 1933 chronologically. So we start in, in May of 1933 with Bonnie and Clyde in Southwest Missouri. So they had um, certainly already committed a, a number of crimes up to this point, but this is where they really, I would say, become more well-known by name, but also by face, because it's during this time period that we find images of Bonnie and Clyde. So they get a little bit more notoriety. So we have events with them in Springfield with kidnapping of police officer there, uh, an attempt at a bank robbery in Orinoco, and then also shootout with police in Joplin. And this kind of sets the stage for a manhunt for um, Bonnie and Clyde and, and the rest of their gang as well that then just kind of leads into um, the rest of the summer of 1933. Sean, where did Bonnie and Clyde meet? When Where did all this start, their crime spree? Well, a lot of it goes back, really, to the community known as West Dallas, uh, which was kind of a more poverty-stricken, lower-income neighborhood uh, next to, adjacent to this, the growing metropolis of, of Dallas there in Texas. So a lot of their connections are, are developed there in, in kind of central and northern Texas, and a lot of their early activities are connected in that kind of corridor between Oklahoma and Texas, both in terms of, of various criminal activities, uh, stints in, in in the state prisons there. Uh, and they begin to branch out into communities uh, really across the kind of the southwest and up into the Midwest with places like Missouri. So a lot of those connections for them draw into communities of Texas, looking at the 19-teens, 1920s, and into the 1930s. Um, and ultimately, uh, kind of that becomes their, in a way, safe haven. Um, anytime they are 
um, on the run um, in various instances from law enforcement, from from various criminal activities. They always kind of try to sneak back into Texas and into West Dallas, even though they're kind of most known in that area. So their roots are really in Texas, but a lot of the kind of major events in their storyline occur in the state of Missouri. Our Missouri is the podcast. You can find it on uh, streaming sites from the State Historical Society of Missouri. Uh, Kathleen, as I mentioned, the second episode just dropped earlier this week. Um, It's about a shootout in Boone County. Uh, Can you kind of tease a little bit about this episode? Yeah. So this particular one really kind of catapults us into um, events that that take place in episodes three and Four. So in this one, we're in Columbia at the intersection of Highway 40 and Highway 63 following the bank robbery up in Mexico, Missouri. So our key players there are Sergeant Booth with the Highway Patrol and Sheriff Wilson um, setting up a roadblock trying to catch these bank robbers coming through, which ends up in, in a shootout and, and the death of these two individuals and kind of another massive manhunt and really kind of the early years of the uh, Missouri State Highway Patrol, which had just recently actually gotten started, and kind of how their role plays out over the next um, kind of year and a half, and how some of that uh, changes because of these particular events. Um, Sergeant Boost, the first trooper killed in the line of duty, so a lot of changing as far as law enforcement, what their roles are, what authorities they have, and that sort of thing. So we really kind of delve into that event and how that leads into um, the next actual few days and then year um, for the state of Missouri and what that looks like. Uh, Sean, the third episode that will come out uh, at the end of July, uh, you look at the Union Station massacre and uh, in the path of Pretty Boy Floyd. Tell us about him. I mean, I've heard the name, but... um, you know, just when I think of this stuff, Bonnie and Clyde come come first. But tell us more about about him and uh, and what happened in Missouri. So the interesting connection point between episode two and episode three is where is Pretty Boy Floyd in Missouri at this point? Um, at the very end of episode two, we kind of have an individual in in the community of Columbia who is an eyewitness to the shootout at, at 40 and 63 who says that an individual matching Floyd's description was in the car. And we kind of delve into into episode three, looking at, well, was Floyd in Columbia or was Floyd possibly somewhere else, like Polk County and and the town of Bolivar? Um, So Floyd's connection in a lot of ways gets a little murky in in a lot of these things. And that kind of goes with a lot of individuals that we look at over the course of the series, Um, you know, misconnections or assumptions about individuals and their connections really drives a lot of the stuff we're doing. And some of this is kind of providing the theories and the context behind a number of the stories. So uh, Floyd later on arrives with Adam Rochetti in Kansas City, which kind of sets up what becomes the Union Station Massacre storyline of episode three. All right, Sean, the final episode, uh, this is kind of the uh, the end of the line here for, for Bonnie and Clyde. Is that how this kind of ties uh, ties up? So in the in the aftermath of the Union Station Massacre in, in, in June of 1933, you have law enforcement kind of surveying the area, trying to draw the connections, who was involved um, in this event, what is going on. And, and it lasts for months, really. 
And in the midst of this investigation, uh, Bonnie and Clyde and, and the Barrow gang roll into Platte City, Missouri, just north there of Kansas City. And we had let we left them off um, at, in, in episode one, kind of as they flee Joplin to parts unknown. And now we're kind of bringing them back a couple of weeks later as they arrive into Platte City. So we follow really this this incident at, at this Platte City um, location known as the Red Crown Tavern look at how they tried to hide out in the midst of this uh, investigation of the Union Station massacre, ultimately the shootout that that occurs there, and then kind of that final really 10 months uh, of, of the lives of Bonnie and Clyde after that point in time and, and their travels um, through other parts of the United States, ultimately culminating in, in the shootout down in Louisiana in May of 1934. Sean, I'll give you the final word. We want people to listen to your podcast and listen to this series, but What's a good tease, whether it's a story or a fact or something that will draw us to this podcast on Bonnie and Clyde and Pretty Boy Floyd? Well, I think something that always fascinates me about history is is really the origins of things. We often assume that, you know, how things are today is how they've always been. And I like to look at, you know, what used to stand in the location or what used to be there or the story behind the story going along there. I think people have heard about Bonnie and Clyde. I think they've heard about Pretty Boy Floyd in various capacities through movies, uh, through books, through popular culture, television. And I think they've heard events about the state of Missouri and these individuals as well. Uh, But I would encourage them to listen to kind of get the story within the story, to kind of get not only the origins of the individuals, but really the origins of these various events that people have often heard about. Um, And really the close overlapping relationship between them. Uh, I think especially episode two and three, these events are only days apart and, and, you know, they are happening almost simultaneously if you're if you're a Missourian reading the newspaper in 1933. So uh, I encourage people to listen to just get a sense of how life was um, in the summer of 1933 and, and how chaotic and and stressful and confusing it was about what was going on on a daily basis uh, for Missourians. Sean Rost and Kathleen Seal are the co-hosts of Our Missouri, a free podcast series that has uh, new episodes posted twice a month. And this latest series is on gangsters that uh, terrorized Missouri. And you can find their series at shsmo.org. Uh, And, of course, find their podcast on streaming sites. Sean and Kathleen, thank you so much. Looking forward to uh, listening to this. Thank you for having us. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you very much. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try. All the talks we've had over the years... 
including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you have a concern about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Back on Show Me Today, the Camden County Museum has started a new local farmer's market. Plus, you can learn about the great history of the Ozarks. Cameron Connor is with Daphne Jeffries. She's the president of the Camden County Historical Society. Well, the museum has been here in this location uh, since 1980. Um, we, are in, we are housed in what was the Lynn Creek School. Um, which was built in 1930 for the new town of Lynn Creek, and uh, it operated as a school up and up through the 70s. So uh, our our museum is laid out in all of the uh, classrooms, um, and then we have a central uh, gymnasium where we hold events, and that's where we have our farmers market. Um, we have a stage that we 
perform plays on and do other things. And we do dinners and whatnot. It's kind of like a community center here. We have a good time. And uh, then the farmer's market uh, has that gym on Wednesdays from 3 to 6. And um, it's a a nice um, convivial group of of people uh, that mostly crafters, but there is produce. There is a lady who makes jams and jellies. Um, and uh, a lot of handcrafts, um, a, a quilter who has beautiful quilts, um, a lady called uh, the Traveling Tailor, and she mostly repurposes um, like denim items, like old jeans and old jean jackets and whatnot, and makes other things out of them. And uh, she's she's very talented. Uh, we have a gentleman who does stained glass, um, uh, and then we have one lady who who mainly has baked items, cookies and breads and whatnot, and she usually brings produce also. And so it's it's just a variety of things. We have a, one woman who um, uh, makes uh, journals and greeting cards. Um, she re- repurposes old paper, old uh uh, books or old greeting cards, things like that. Um, and she's she's very she's very talented. I am not a crafty person, so anytime I see somebody making things, you know, making beautiful things out of something that I would just probably throw away, <laughs> it always impresses me. Oh my gosh, you and me both. Yeah, I'm not. Uh... I'm the one who purchased the crafts and all the things that are made. I am not the one who makes them. So I can definitely <laughs> I can definitely relate yeah. on that capacity. So, Daphne, going back to the farmer's market itself. So this happens every Wednesday from 3 to 6 and all the way through, I think it's December, correct? Uh, yeah, we go to about the second week of or second or third week of December, and so you know, as we get into the fall, there are lots of wonderful gift ideas, um, gifts, decorations uh, that are available there. Um, I know that the um, um, Peg, who does the baking and everything, uh, she does special, oh, like uh, cookie trays or whatever. Uh, for parties and whatnot, and so you know that's an that's an option that you can you can order, you know, sort of order what you want on your cookie tray for for your dinner or for your party, um, and and that's always handy. That way you don't have to sit there and bake all those different cookies. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, there's there's just a lot of gift ideas there. And uh, Rachel, who does the the uh, greeting cards and uh, journals and whatnot, uh, you know, she will have. Um, I know she had Mother's Day and Father's Day cards, you know, special ones, and she will have special uh, fall items, and then she'll, you know, the Christmas will be beautiful items. And and her journals, if if you know somebody who likes to journal. Um, her journals are really beautiful. They're, I mean, they're a work of art in themselves. I'd hate to write in one because they are so pretty, but um, uh, they make really nice gifts. I know I got uh, a couple last year for some friends of mine, 
um, who like that sort of thing, and um, and gave them as as Christmas gifts, and they were much appreciated. So it's an opportunity to to do some of your Christmas shopping without having to go out and fight the crowds. All right, and for anyone who's just now tuning in, this is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with Daphne Jeffries. She is the president of the Camden County Historical Society. We're talking about the Camden County Museum, and we're also talking about the farmer's market that they host every Wednesday from 3 to 6 p.m., and it runs all the way through about the third week of December or those whereabouts. Daphne, it's great that not only is this a farmer's market, it also, to your point, has such a great array of crafts and gifts and anything of that nature. So that's great to see. But actually boiling down to the produce, let's say that I'm headed down there for this next upcoming Wednesday. What is the produce selection that I could expect at something like this? And then as the year goes on, does it rotate to new things? Is it usually the common thing or does it kind of just change with the season? Well, it, yeah, it changes with the season and I haven't, um, I ha- nobody has posted yet what they're planning to bring tomorrow. It, it always depends on, you know, what's available, what's ready right now. Um, but I know that there, there has been, um, you know, there's been like green beans when, when they were coming on, there's a, always to make, almost always tomatoes right now. Um, and then, um, uh, as we get on toward fall, there will be more of the fall crops. So it just depends on what is um, what is ripe right now, what is ready to be picked, and what's in season. But most of it is just the you know what what you would expect uh, to have. I know um, Peg did have some um, like some peppers and things too. So you know it, it's just a variety. Okay, great. And that's such a fantastic thing. It's always great to go to these and shop local and help out any of those mm-hmm. local grown businesses or anything like that. So it's definitely something that people love to hear. So hopefully it'll start to flood that way. Going back to the museum itself, why don't you tell me a little bit more about that? What What are some of the artifacts and stuff that you have on display or what are your, I guess, your, your biggest hits? <laughs> well... Um, well, we have uh, we have quite a variety. Of course, it's all uh, Camden County history. Um, like we have the the Acorn Press that used to be used in the Reveille back in Old Lynn Creek. It was it was brought up the river um, on a barge uh, to Tuscumbia and then brought by wagon over the hills uh, to Old Lynn Creek, and and it's from the 1800s. Um, we have a a um, loom that's over 100 years old and on that we we weave rugs which are part of uh of what we have in our gift shop are these nice uh hand, you know handmade rugs um <clears throat> and they also make nice christmas gifts we have well information on the be you know the building of the dam and all of that um we we have a big um like from a blacksmith shop, a huge bellows uh, that would have been at a blacksmith shop. Um, we have just, you know, just a variety of things. We have a display on Haha Tonka um, because that, you know, that state park is is very well known, and uh, just, you know, just a variety of of uh, artifacts that have been donated over the years. The wrap-up question that I'll have for you here, Daphne, is we've talked about the farmer's market that happens on every Wednesday. Is there any other events that are currently going on or that are coming up soon that you'd love to highlight? Well, uh, this coming Saturday, uh, we're going to be doing a um, 
um, ice cream social and a classic car cruise in uh, from 6 to 8.30 in the evening. Um, and that's that's usually a lot of fun. I especially enjoy the ice cream. And then the following Saturday, uh, the Young Museum Players, which are uh, kids, well, all ages of kids. I think the youngest one I have in there is four or five. And um, they're going to be doing the Wacky Wizard of Oz, and that will be a dinner theater. Uh, We'll be having supper. Um, uh, I think we're going to start the buffet about 530 so that the kids can all eat with their folks. And then uh, we'll be doing the play starting at 7 o'clock. And it's it's fun. It's fun to watch those little kids get up there and perform. Show me today the Voice of Missouri. We're talking with Daphne Jeffries, the president of the Camden County Historical Society, speaking about the Camden County Museum and also the weekly farmer's markets that they have every single Wednesday and also all of the other events that, or some of the other events that they have going on. Daphne, thank you so much for your time here on Show Me Today, the Voice of Missouri. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. And for anyone who tuned in late or wants to listen to more, just search Show Me Today wherever you get your podcast. Having enough food is a concern for many Missouri families, and it isn't restricted to rural or urban areas. As many as one in eight Missourians face food insecurity every day. Among children, the numbers are even higher. To ensure Missouri children have the food they need to thrive, Missouri's agricultural community launched Drive to Feed Kids six years ago. Visit MoFarmersCare.com slash drive to learn more and join the efforts. One in seven Missouri children is food insecure, not knowing where their next meal may come from. Drive to Feed Kids is a year-round effort of Missouri farmers, agribusiness, and farm groups to address food insecurity in our state. Through meal packing events, gifted food products, hog processing, and monetary donations, the ag community provides support to the agencies serving our most vulnerable citizens. Visit MoFarmersCare.com slash drive to learn more. That's MoFarmersCare.com slash drive. Having enough food is a concern for many Missouri families, and it isn't restricted to rural or urban areas. As many as one in eight Missourians face food insecurity every day. Among children, the numbers are even higher. To ensure Missouri children have the food they need to thrive, Missouri's agricultural community launched Drive to Feed Kids six years ago. Visit MoFarmersCare.com slash drive to learn more and join the efforts. Having enough food is a concern for many Missouri families, and it isn't restricted to rural or urban areas. Missouri Farmers Care Drive to Feed Kids opens the door for every Missourian to make a difference in the fight against hunger in our state. All proceeds are dedicating to feeding Missouri's network food banks who work daily to alleviate hunger. Visit MOFarmersCare.com slash drive to learn more and join the effort. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. 
The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Chiefs veterans arrive in St. Joe today, and the first full squad practice is Sunday, and that's a practice that fans can attend. Uh, The rookies and quarterbacks got there earlier this week, and uh, it's been rough. It's been rough for them. Uh, Rasheed Rice, who was drafted out of SMU, uh, trying to get acclimated to the Missouri Heat. I mean, he played down in Texas, but uh, Andy Reid's practices are tough, and uh, he showed everyone his breakfast uh, the first day of practice. He's expecting us to be able to run as long as we can, and to be honest with y'all, I don't mind puking. Uh, That just means I'm working as hard as I can so that I won't puke no more and be ready for the games. So he's he's doing better. At least he could joke about it, that's for sure. And then Felix Anudike Uzama, who was the first-round pick, uh, 31st overall, uh, he was on the field for the first time earlier this week. Today was tough. Uh, Obviously, almost every first fall camp, like even in college, every first fall camp is always going to be tough. You already got to get. Uh, you have to get in shape, football shape, because all the training and stuff like that is not is not the same as football shape. So today was tough. Um, hopefully, these next three days are going to be easier, and then when the vets come, we'll already be in shape and ready to go. He was not on the field during their OTAs and, and mini camps because he had thumb surgery in the off season. He had actually hurt his thumb. He played with Kansas State. And he hurt his thumb on the final defensive play of the Big 12 championship game back in December and didn't realize it. And then when he was back at Kansas State going through his pro day workouts in front of scouts, uh, that's when they told him, hey, look, you you got to get your thumb fixed. you got to get your hand fixed. you got to have surgery. So uh, he'll ramp up and uh, he'll be in good shape. So, And Patrick Mahomes looks as great as ever. So, yeah, the first full practice this Sunday. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Another warm weekend coming up from St. Louis across the state to Kansas City. And Missouri remains dangerously dry. 95% of Missouri is experiencing drought. They say conditions have gotten a little better. That rain must have helped. Enjoy your weekend. Talk to you Monday. Show Me Today.